There are two questions that I get all the time from real estate investors. The first one is, how do I find deals or how do I find more deals? The second one is, how do I get funding for those deals? Well, I've got you covered. I've created a program that will help you find all the deals you could ever want and also how to fund all of those deals. It's called the Real Estate Find and Fund Blueprint. That's right, it's a blueprint that will teach you how to find those deals and how to get them all funded. If you go to findandfundblueprint.com, you can check out the details, you can get signed up. It's a four week program. I have designed it specifically to make sure that you leave that program with 100% confidence that you can find deals and get them all funded. It's by far the biggest problem that real estate investors have and they've always had this problem and I'm here to solve it for you. I wanna get right down into it. We're gonna get into the weeds and talk very, very specific about finding deals and getting them funded. Go check it out findandfundblueprint.com. I can't wait to see you. And so I moved into a three, a three bedroom, one and a half bath, brought two of my buddies with me and they both moved in to that, to the house. Each paid me $500 a month. My mortgage was 940. So I was making 60 bucks a month and living there for free. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time. If you enjoy the show, if you get anything out of it, please go and give me a rating and review. I would very much appreciate that. It helps us out so, so much. You have no idea. Just it takes a second to go and help a lot if you're enjoying this and getting anything out of it at all. All right, guys, today's show is going to be fantastic. I know because I've already completed it and uh, it was a great one. I had a lot of fun. I talked to the one and only Matt Faircloth. Uh, Matt is a Bigger Pockets contributor and Amazon best-selling author of Raising Private Capital, How to Build Your Real Estate Empire with Other People's Money. He's the founder and CEO of the DeRosa Group. So you can go to derosagroup.com and check him out there. He has been a full-time investor for 15 years. He has successfully completed projects involving dozens of fix and flips, office buildings, single family homes, and apartment buildings. He has amassed a portfolio of over 1,000 units and raised tens of millions of dollars in equity for these projects in both debt and equity positions. These deals from uh, passive investors is who he, who he gets to, to fund these deals. He goes out and raises the money. And that's what we uh, focused on today is raising money, how to do that effectively, how you can do that for your deals. And we had some other really fun side conversations about working with spouses and uh, different things. So this this was a really, really fun one and a really, really good actionable uh, interview and conversation that I had with Matt. And I really enjoyed it. He's a great guy. So without any further ado, guys, I give you Matt Faircloth. All right, Matt. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you being on the show. It's, it's a real honor, man. Mike, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So excited to talk to you. Raising money. I'm a big... Uh, advocate. I, I talk to real estate investors. I've mentored. I've coached hundreds of them over the last several years. And I, I do know that the questions that I get asked all the time are, how do I find more better leads? And how do I find more better money? 
right? Money yeah. was a thing when I got started in real estate. It was, I don't want to say a challenge because I don't think it's as hard as people make it out to be. However, it's a, it's a factor and it's a challenge for certain people who don't know what they're doing. And it was a challenge when I started. Fast forward to today, I, I still know people that are challenged. They're like, I can't, how do I find the money to do my mm-hmm. deals, right? Uh, whether they're raising money for apartment buildings or they're raising money for single family flips, fix and flips, or rentals, they just, you know, people, sometimes, it's a mental thing. They think yes. that, that, that you know, they want someone to do them a favor and we'll get into it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, they look at it so wrong. But again, I'm happy to have you because you are the money raising guy. And I think this is one of the major problems that I hear over and over and over again. There's no money out there. Nobody, there's nobody to borrow from. And I think that's, that's a huge problem. But let's, I, I think that I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. So yeah. So, so yes, we're on the same page. Yeah. So carry on. Yeah. <laughs> but, but let's, let's give people a, a little bit of context. I know it's a little bit cliche, but I, I think it helps when people understand who they're listening to. If they don't already know you, uh, let's give us a little bit of a sense of where you come from. What, what did you do before real estate? Why'd you get into real estate and kind of catch us up to, to now? Oh man. Well, it's been a while. I've, I've been a full-time real estate investor for 15 years going on 16 at the end of this year. So um, but before that, uh, I did have a life before real estate investing. <laughs> um, I, I went to college at Virginia Tech and, and uh, was an engineer uh, for a while, like a traveling sales engineer, sold industrial machinery. Um, but, and I just bumped into my wife, uh, my you know, girlfriend at the time, we started dating her and she got me to read Rich Dad Poor Dad while we were dating. <laughs> and um, amazing book. Turned my head to the power of of investing and entrepreneurship and just what's possible outside of just having a four a, a like I'm sorry W two job job sure. right yeah so I um explored that and uh, just got it just kind of fell in love with the business of real estate and Rich Dad Poor Dad you know preaches a lot about passive income real estate those kinds of things yeah and so we started doing some real estate investing together uh, as a couple while we were dating. Hmm. Um, and then uh, did a did a bit more of it. And by the time we got married, we you know had done uh, done a reasonable amount of investing, and we decided that it would be time for her to maybe be our breadwinner, for her to support me while I quit my job and she uh, because she was our our source of income. Nice. So we did that uh, in two thousand five, going into two thousand six. Um, you know what happens in 2008, you know, yeah. the bottom falls out of the world, right? We all, we all yeah. thought that we were going to, you know, start going back to the barter system or something like that and lose our <laughs> current currency goes to zero and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we were all afraid of that. And so we, uh, uh, got through that downturn and as we were going, as we we're coming out of it, we had a reasonable portfolio, which, you know, for just getting started folks is around 30 units. Um, uh, that we had, that we had amassed up into the crash. And then as we're coming out of the crash, we didn't really have any equity anymore because everything was decimated. But what we did have was a reasonable management protocol. And we had some friends that were like, hey, we'd love to invest in real estate too. We hear it's a good place to invest with everything being so down. Mm-hmm. We just don't have the time. Yeah. And so we started assembling some friends that we had uh, and, and colleagues of Liz, uh, that, that cause, uh, you know, people that she knew from college and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, they became our first passive investors. My first passive deal was 50 K, uh, $50,000 investment. People think you got to do deals with millions. You don't. Our first deal was $50,000. Where, where was this um, located? Where, where'd you buy this Trent, house? New Jersey. New Jersey. Trent, okay. New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's, it was 2010, two little row homes, um, that they, they, they were just dilapidated for closed on bank owned bought them from the bank, um, yep. for, uh, for 25 K a piece. 
and um, and fix them up, put another 50K into into them globally. And then uh, they valued in at 150 when we were done. Nice. And uh, leased them out for uh, $950 a door. Uh, so two hot, so $18 or $1,900 total. Yep. Good deal. 1%, 1.5% roll. Everything all adds up. Yep. Nice in cash flow. We were able to refinance the property, pull out my private investor's money. And then we were able to parlay that and start doing the burr strategy down the line by buying, renovating, refinancing, yep. repeating over and over again. Yep. And it really turned my head to the power of private money. And, and we just started scaling and doing larger and larger deals um, with, these, uh, with these investors. And now we just closed a 152-unit apartment complex uh, a couple of weeks ago. And that brings us so, well over, it, we're well over into the thousands of units now. And um, okay. we've, uh, I've probably raised, I want to tell you, Mike, I kind of lost count, somewhere between 30 and 40 million in equity for deals. Okay. So that was a great, great summary. Now I've got a ton of questions along the way. Bring it on. And I'm really not great at shutting my mouth. So I'm pr really proud of myself for not saying anything during that whole talk. Um, mm -hmm. But first of all, let's start here. How many real estate businesses were launched from Rich Dad, Poor Dad from reading that book? <laughs> I swear to you, I, if I had a dime, right? I say, so many people have read that book and it was sort of like the, the thing that sort of got them off the starting block. And it's not like the mm -hmm. book is completely comprehensive and you couldn't possibly have a question after you read it. Of course you could, but it's an yeah. excellent primer. It's an excellent starting point to, to get the juices flowing of real estate. And it sounds like that's what, what happened for you. Uh, as you were getting started with your then girlfriend, what was your first deal? Was it a fix and flip? Was it a buy and hold? It sounds like you amassed mm -hmm. 30 units at one point. And you, when you say units, I, I usually assume there's some multifamily in there of some kind. Yeah. Okay. So what was that first deal? What, what was it? What was the deal? A single family, multi-unit? No, it's a, it a house I lived in. I did oh, a house hack. Okay. I bought a three bedroom, nice. one and a half bath. Um, which anybody listening that that's you know wants to get involved in real estate investing and does not own their home now, their first move should be a house hack because they cannot beat the financing. Yeah. And if you're not willing to compromise a little bit of your living situation in exchange for your long-term financial wealth and for your path into real estate investing, you really you really ought to gut check your commitment yeah. to this business because this yeah. business will certainly make you uncomfortable at some point. And if that makes you uncomfortable, good. Go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. And yeah. so I moved into a three, a three bedroom, one and a half bath, brought two of my buddies with me and they both moved in to that, to the house. He each paid me $500 a month. My mortgage was 940. So I was making 60 bucks a month and living there for free. Nice. Um, yeah, which was just a great arrangement. And then, you know, one of them started moving out and said, there was this website that I guess went away called roomiematch.com, roommates.com. Okay. You could find roommates for right. people that, you know, and it was a roommate matching service and stuff like that. So I started using that to find myself roommates, you know, to move into my, into my little house with me. Uh, then Liz and I got, no, before that, um, Liz and I decided we would stretch our legs and do another deal. So we went and found a duplex okay. and borrowed some money from her dad, hmm. uh, to, to buy that duplex. Okay. And then, so you would, you didn't live in that one. I assume you just bought it and okay. Did you have to renovate that one or was it ready to roll? You just threw somebody in? We had, uh, we immediately had, uh, non-paying tenants. Okay. So we, as soon as we closed the tenants were like, Oh, let's take this landlord for a test drive. <laughs> so we, we cut our teeth and immediately had to evict immediately as soon as we took ownership. Um, then we got those tenants out, had to go and renovate the apartments 
um, put new tenants in, cash flowed it. It was all very healthy. And then I ended up moving a little bit further away to New Jersey. So we sold that property for a profit mm. and did a 1031 exchange. Oh, okay, great. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. So 1031 exchange in a nutshell, I'll let you say what it is. What is a 1031 exchange for the folks that are listening? Well, for now, it may change, but yeah. <laughs> there's talk of, of the rules changing around it. But for now, it allows for an investor uh, to sell a property uh, take the proceeds from the sale of that property and roll it up into a new purchase of a larger property that's of a higher dollar amount. And, and all the equity from the sale of property A needs to get rolled into property B. Yep. There's a bunch of timeline concerns. There's, yep. you know, you, you got to buy within a certain amount of time. You have to identify with a certain amount of time, which I will get into, but there are rules and regulations around it. So it is uh, something that's scrutinized, but it is a means to take your proceeds from one property that you made through appreciation or through value add and mm -hmm. roll it into your next deal. And the people do that to avoid the the capital gains, right? A lot of yes. times they, they don't want to have to pay those taxes. It's, it's not always deferring because yeah, at some yes. point you got to pay the pipe. Yes. Yeah. Um, right. Because at some point you got to sell something, right? Yes. So okay. uh, you're just deferring the capital gain yep. up. Yeah. Um, yep. To the next property. Yeah. So I'm just trying to make clear to people who don't know what this is. Why would you ever do that? Because it is a little bit of a timing thing, right? It's a little, it could be mm -hmm. you know, a little hectic if you're not ready. Um, okay. So question for you. It sounds like you have gone down the path of buy and hold on some level, whether it be single family, duplex, apartment buildings. Why did you not get into the fix and flip game or, or that some of that transactional active investing? Why was that not for you? Oh, you did. Okay. I did. I've done about four dozen fix and flips in okay. my career. Oh, okay. Um, it's just um, I never. I, I got into commercial, and that was a mistake, Mike. We we bought an office building, um, and uh, we still have it, and it's it's okay. It's it's a good asset, but it but it was a deferment off of our path of commitment to residential real estate. Okay. Um, if I did, if I had to redo my path over again, I probably would have just stayed in my lane and stuck to residential leasing and re residential rentals um, for the foreseeable future. And until I really mastered that and I had some, some businesses that I could spin off and get into other things like fix and flips. But remember, yeah. I really got my legs underneath me in 2010 and 11. And there's a lot of foreclosures out there. Mm -hmm. And some of these were foreclosures in nice neighborhoods. Yep. These are bank owned properties that like four bedroom, three and a half bath, <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in neighborhoods where stuff's selling for 300,000 that yeah. you could buy for 125,000, mm -hmm. right? Yep. They needed a ton of work. You know, like you could see the sky through the living room because of the <laughs> hole in the roof, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the places were just jacked up full of mold and everything like that. So it was work, but yeah. there was a lot of low hanging fruit back then. Um, not saying it was easier because it was almost impossible to get a loan, yeah. which is how I got into private money. Yep. Because you couldn't get that back then. Banks weren't touching any of this kind of stuff. Um, uh, let me ask you this, and, and thank you for clar clarifying the fix and flip. I didn't realize that you did much of that at all. Uh, you got into to personal uh, or, or private lending because the banks just weren't lending to investors. A little, little tougher for sure. No. What, okay. So let me ask you this. If someone is just getting started now, um, would you suggest that they go straight for private money or should they be using hard money bank? And, and I'm assuming you're going to say the bank, if you can, if you have a full-time job and they'll give you these mm -hmm. low crazy mm -hmm. rates, you know, mm -hmm. you get 10 properties or whatever it is. But in general, in general, do you think people should start looking for private money sooner than later? I, I would say so. Yes. Because at some point, I mean, unless you win the lottery, you know, your, your pockets are going to run dry. You're yeah. going to not want to expose all your capital, 
two-way deal. So at some point, every real estate investor that I know of has to bring in private capital, either through a private loan, private equity, private equity deals. Yeah. Um, and that, you can call that hard money, whatever you want to say. But at some point, people always need to bring in dollars that are not their own. Yeah. And this goes for big companies. Sam Zell, the biggest apartment building owner I could think of, has plenty of investors. He doesn't yeah. own all that himself. Absolutely. So everybody at some point has to get involved in private equity. Absolutely. What do you say to folks who say there really is no money out there right now with everything in the economy, which I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what they would be thinking about. But yeah, I, I hear people say it too now. Like every, it's all an excuse, yeah. right? But people say there's no, nobody's lending. I can't find anyone to, to fund my deals. What do you say to that? I think they're not looking hard enough. I think yeah. they're full of it. And I think that they may be hiding behind that excuse because they're scared to ask. Bingo. I to, think so too. To like, to be real, real direct, you know, yeah. I think that you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, well, you know, what am I getting out of you're getting something out of out of saying, oh, I don't know anybody with money. Yeah. That that serves something, and it probably makes you safe and makes you not able not have to go out there and put yourself out there to yep. broadcast yourself to start asking people in your network. Hey, wouldn't you love to see a better way to build your financial wealth? Totally. You know, absolutely. And, and I think that you should ch- change your perspective on private money, as you said earlier in the very beginning, Mike. They're not doing us a favor. We're offering them an opportunity. These private private lenders, private investors. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to touch on for a minute, you started working with your girlfriend at first, then you guys got married at some point. What do you think about working with a spouse or a significant other? Is that, do you recommend it? Is it, is it a good thing in general? Like, what are your thoughts on working with spouses or significant others? Oh, that's good. You know, you know Mike, I, I've done the wrong thing that way. And I've done the right thing that way. And I mean, Liz and I, you know, we had, we had some real rough patches and we've been married for 15 years. If you haven't hit a rough patch in 15 years of marriage, man, you're just not trying hard enough, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. You're just not, you're just not living. Yeah. Um, and so we've already, we, we had hit a few rough patches in doing it the wrong way. Um, and I think that what we figured out is Liz and I, you can work together. It's just short to answer your question. Absolutely. Any spouse can work together with their spouse, but you got to have rules of engagement, right? You got to respect your spouse. You can't, this is working with your spouse, not working for your spouse. Neither one, neither spouse is the employee of the other. Um, and one might be a little more direct, a little more boisterous or whatever it is, but that doesn't mean the other spouse gets to, is, the, is, is reporting to yeah. the, you know, the louder one, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. they have to have mutual respect for each other. Uh, and also I think that you've got to understand personality styles. Uh, I have seen spouses work together where one spouse is a little more outgoing, the people person, the magnet to draw in attention to the company. The other one's a little more ops, a little more behind the scenes, a little more spreadsheet oriented, a little more yeah. like, you know, just let me run the run the operations behind the scenes of the business. So there's a yeah. front of the house, back of the house. Yep. Some spouses work well like that. And there's good um, spouse duo combos that do that. Liz and I are not that. Liz and I are very similar. Um, mm. And we both are the alphas that want to be out pulling in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. her and I working side by side has never worked. Um, her and I collaborating on things and supporting each other and being each other's biggest cheerleader. Yeah. And like keeping each other out of trouble through advice and giving each other support when times got tough. And, yep. and you can do this and also resources, introductions and being like board members for each other, that has worked 
phenomenally. And yeah. I, we've both gone great by letting each other own different sectors of what we do, Yeah, but have full ownership and be the head of that thing that we're both in charge of. See, really, yeah. Mike, it goes back to respecting personality styles, wiring w- what each of us needs. Yep. Um, if you can do that, you can absolutely work together. And I, and I think that there's nothing that tightens up a marriage together better than to be connected to your financial future and work towards a common financial yeah. goal together. Couldn't so. agree more. I, and I, I yeah. do love that answer. I, people ask me that. Should I, should I bring my wife or my husband into the business? Should I, should I have them working in the business with me? And what I tell people is that's fine if they want to do that. And, and that's yeah. great. But at the very least, you, you can't be at odds about the business. You, you need the support of your husband, wife, significant other, even if they're not in the business, as long as they 100% support you and believe in you and give you the freedom to do it in there and they're behind you. Because I've seen it the other way, man. I've seen it where, you know, the husband is just not mm-hmm. down and, and the wife's doing real estate and he's sort of fighting it yeah. and, and like passive aggressively getting her away. And it's like, or the other way around, right? It just, it sucks. It makes it so, it's hard enough to, to be successful in business, but to have your spouse sort of like at odds with you about it, it's, it's no good. Let me tell you a brief story, Mike. So we had met this guy at a RIA, at a RIA event, right? And uh, this gentleman, he wanted us to come over to play cash flow with his family. He's like, oh, well, my kids love cash flow and my wife loves cash flow. Come on over and play. Yeah. We get there and we realized very quickly that this was actually a, a stage that he brought us in to try and convince his wife that real estate investing <laughs> was a good vehicle for them. And you could tell that she was just not having it, man. Oh my she God. was like, Oh yeah, we can play the game, but just I'm not, this is, I've already decided that you're not gonna play the game in real life. This is how we're going to go. Oh, wow. And she was just like, he would bring it up over dinner and like, Oh yeah, real estate investing. I remember that property. <laughs> These guys are doing this and that are, and then she was like, yeah, well, we have other priorities right now. I mean, she wow. was just shoot, just, <laughs> Wow. You know, but, yeah. and I'm not making her wrong. I'm just saying right. that they were not on the same page. And I have yet to see a real estate investor or her, a man or woman that's successful in this business that does not have their spouse at least supporting them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't, you don't have to invest with your spouse, but real estate investing takes two things time and money. Yep. Both of which are, you know, are, are burdens on your marriage. Yep. You know, it's either you're going to be out on the th- before COVID, you're going to be out on Thursday night sometimes to go to these events. You might not be home to tuck the kids in. And sometimes you might have to write some checks out of your personal pocket to keep the business going or to reinvest in your yeah. business. If your spouse is not on the same page, you're not going to get access to that time or the money, or you're going to get a fight every yeah. time you need time or money. Thousand percent. Um, yep. Yeah. So I, I couldn't they have agree more. To be enrolled. Yeah. Yeah. So. You're right. It's so it's such a big drain on resources, time and money that if you're not in, in on the same page, man, it's gonna it's gonna blow up. It's gonna be a problem. All right. But the, but the way you get there is just enrolling in the vehicle. And now, yeah. okay, what would life look like five years from now if we if we were really successful in real estate investing? you know, we could get to the same place vision wise. And if yeah. you have an aligned vision with your spouse, then that's how, that's the, that's the ticket. That's, yeah. that's how you get your spouse enrolled in this. Not talking about like, Hey, listen, I have an idea. I'm going to go and spend like 15, $20,000 <laughs> of our money to go get started in this business. Yeah. And I'm going to be gone two, three nights a week or on zoom calls two, three nights a week. Yep. And I'm going to go look at properties and maybe go join this mastermind group and have to fly somewhere or whatever. What do you think? Yeah. What spouses go like, oh, sure, that sounds awesome. Yeah. But if you talk about what, where the, this business can take you in three to five years, mm. 
that, that's that's likely how you're going to get a yes, not through what I got to go through to get there, but what yeah. life could look like once we get there together. Agreed. I think that dude just did not do a good job with his wife. If his yeah, grand man. plan was to take her from an absolute no to a yes by inviting people over and playing by cash bringing flow, in knucklehead Matt and Liz I mean, and just getting going too. I'm sure you, you guys know? are fantastic yeah. to have over, but that is not the way you get your wife on board. It almost feels a little ambushy, you know. We like had he's a gotta, lovely dinner. We yeah. had a lovely meal. That was that's what it was. <laughs> We had a lovely yeah. meal and we talked about non-real estate related things as much as we could because we could tell she wasn't having it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. All right. Yeah. I want to dial this back to raising money because that is yeah, uh, among your many skills, that is one of your expertise. Um, w- talk to me a little bit about, and we don't, you know, we could, we literally, I literally could talk to you about this for hours, right? But we don't have hours. So let's try to dial into some stuff that you've seen in your time people, what are some of the big mistakes people make when they're trying to raise money for a project? What do you see people doing that you just go, ah, no, 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 no. That's not what you do. <laughs> oh man, this is a great question. Like, thank you. A couple of things. Um, you and I alluded to this before, but I'll just valid, I'll just like underscore this. And that is that the, you go out to the market thinking that people are doing you for a favor. Like, mm. Hey, uncle Charlie, can you please do me a favor and yeah. invest in my deal? Or can I please borrow some money from you, uncle Charlie? No, that's not going to work. You know, or that, that might work, but you're going to end up giving away the farm. Yeah. If you act like people that they're like, they're trying to help you or that they need that, that you, they, some, you need them more than they need you somehow. Right. right? Um, that's mistake number one. Mistake number two is shopping for money when you need it, not before you need it. I love that one. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I believe that anybody that's not raised money yet should not wait till they have a deal. Because if you wait till you got a deal, you're likely going to have to bring in a partner that knows people mm-hmm. and like a capital raiser partner or whatever that's going to end up eating your lunch and taking the farm away from you. Yeah. Um, and that or you, have to, you have to give a lot away to somebody who has the network. You might as well just build the network first. Yep. So those are the two biz- big mistakes I see people make. Agreed. I, I think to your point, if you need money right now, you're going to have to overpay for it. You know, it's that those mm-hmm. that those relationships take time to get the money yep. that really is going to be the most beneficial to you. Um, what, what, what is the best way to approach somebody if you're a newer investor? Okay, here's the the other excuse I get for people who can't find money. I don't have any experience. I don't want to loan me money. I can't. I can't borrow money because I've not done enough to show them a track record. Do you have advice for people who are a little newer, but they they know they need to start going down hmm. that path of making those relationships? How do they approach somebody if they don't have a lot of experience? Um. I think that they you under that they may be underestimating the intrigue of something different to their investor base. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is real estate investing may seem fairly basic and straightforward and necessary to people like you and me that have already drank the Robert Kiyosaki Kool-Aid, <laughs> Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. But there's plenty of people that have not drank that Kool-Aid yet and they don't know that they can invest in real estate passively or that they could be a private lender or that they could put their IRA to work in real estate. Right. Um, and so what these people don't, what, what you may, the newbie may not realize is that by building their network and just making their base aware of the magic of real estate investing as a passive investor, mm-hmm. um, then like, Hey, listen, don't you, you can, you as well can participate in this thing. Um, you can make great returns on their money. This is what compounding interest looks like, whatever it is. And I recommend that everybody do that by starting to educate their database about real estate investing, how amazing it is. And also certainly telling their database frequently, Hey, do you know, I invest in real estate? Yeah. You know, do you know, or I'm going to be investing in real estate, whatever it is. 
I think that's yeah. huge. Just telling people what you're doing at the very least, just talk about it. Like you just don't know who's going to go, Hey, that that's interesting. I'd love to get involved in that. Um, I want to say real quick, you have a YouTube channel called uh, landlord chronicles, YouTube. Yes. That was landlord yes. chronicles is what it's called. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, as someone who uh, is con- contemplating, I'm going to start a YouTube channel, but for some reason it seems daunting to me. Uh, why did you do it? And what can people find there? Because you do have a pretty high subscriber count, I think. And, and it sounds mm-hmm. like it's an interesting concept. Are you, is it, are these like stories from the, from the landlord world or why did you start this channel and what can people find there? You know? Okay. So I started the channel by mistake. Um, because <laughs> we started sending videos to our investors uh, and to our private lenders on flips that we were involved in years ago, like 2014, right? Yeah. And it's like, hey, John, here's your flip, and this is where we are, and here's the cabinets and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. here's the roof, and here's this and this. So please issue a draw. And so we would shoot these video montages for people about where things were, and we would say, hey, you know, it's actually pretty cool. Let's just put it public. Yeah. And then people would start watching them. Like, hey, man, people are watching the video that I shot for that investor for that, you know. And so we yeah. just started to just put out educational stuff. Okay. So I would like shoot a video for the lender, John. So he would issue me a, a draw for yeah. my loan that I had with him. And then I would say, Hey guys, let's do another conversation and talk about these floors and talk about why it's important to put, to use, to use this kind of floor versus that kind of floor in yeah. a rental property, whatever it is. So we would do those kinds of conversations with, uh, and on, on YouTube and just more forward facing educational based. Hey guys, this is what we want. this is what we're talking about. And it just started to get more and more traction. And before you know it, we had like a hundred subscribers and then that hundred turned into 200. And then we decided to push it a little bit further. And I had a good, I can now call him a good friend, um, but mentor at the time, Joe Fairless um, uh, advised me, Hey, listen, if you want to be successful with media, you got to have consistency. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think you're right. And so at that time I was just posting a video whenever I felt like it. Yeah. And so he, uh, he advised me to just be consistent. And so we did. So now, uh, then at that time, we committed to posting a video every Monday and every Thursday. And I have not missed a Monday or Thursday since that day. And that's probably six years ago. Oh, wow. And so when we started posting consistent videos, we immediately went to 1,000 subscribers, then 2,000 and 3,000. And now, as you said, we're up to 31,000 today. Yes. Um, and with a, goal, with a goal and a vision to get to 100. So... Got it. I've just, I clicked on it and you actually started talking. I did. I just stopped it. No, no, that's cool. I just, I like, I love the concept, man. You're right. It it is a consistency. And to do that for six years without missing a beat is pretty incredible, actually. We have some cool things. Like we have like Mentorship Monday where people can just email me questions and I'll answer them on the air. We just do this thing called Day in the Life where we just follow, we just bring our cell phones and turn them on the whole time that we're out in the field looking at apartment buildings that we might want to buy or stuff that we're managing. That's awesome. This is Day in the Life. We just, hey, this is what a Day in the Life is. And a few of my other team members, like my acquisitions guy, Urbe, and my, my asset manager, Justin, have their own little, you know, broadcast that they do too. Yeah. So as, I think that the biggest thing for YouTube, and some people believe in clickbait or just putting in splash in the pond kind of stuff right. to just make up, make some noise or whatever. Yeah. I, I probably could have a couple of million subscribers now if I just, if I just sold out and just made sizzle stuff. Um, that gets lots of clicks and just, you know, put videos of myself falling off a skateboard or something like that. I could probably do, I could probably get a lot more subscribers, but I use YouTube as a vehicle to generate people that want to learn or learn from us or invest with us. That's it. And so we put out a lot of just transparent, 
learning based stuff. And I, I care about how many subscribers I get, but I'm, I care more about how many people reach out to us or find us because of the medium that we have online Yeah, on, on YouTube. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's awesome, actually. Um, tell me a little bit about your company. You guys raise money for deals. Um, I know you bring in outside money. Tell me a little bit about that company, why, why you actually started that company and what you guys look like today. And then what are the plans for the future for that company? Yeah, man. Thank you. Um, the Derosa Group's called that's uh, that's our mantra. Yep, Derosa our, our company's called Derosa Group. It's actually my wife Liz's mother's maiden name is Derosa, oh, okay. um, and so that's where that name comes from. Nice. Um, and we um, we're we're we're, uh, we're dedicated to transforming lives through real estate. That's a mantra. That's a mantra we like so much. We put a trademark on it. Um, and nice. so that's the, that's the mission of our company. Cause we believe that real estate can of course transform our lives. And it gives, gives me a phenomenal lifestyle. Um, no, not bragging, but Liz and I lead a good life and that's mm-hmm. because of real estate and not just because of the money. It's also because it gives me control of my time. Yeah. And I believe that it can give that gift to other people too. Like when my dad died, my father died in 2010 because of real estate, I was able to spend weeks by his side. Yeah. And weeks with my mother afterwards, um, because real estate allows me to work kind of sort of where I want to. Yeah, um, I can work if I got a laptop and a cell phone, I'm good to go. Even yep. pre-COVID, I, I can still do those things. Totally. You know, yep. um, and so that was a blessing of real estate that, that it was able to give that to me, and I want to give that to other people. Additionally, um, America's faith in Wall Street is at an all-time low. Yeah. Um, even though Wall Street's at an all-time high, America's faith in it is at an all-time low. And so I think that um, that there is a need in, in passive America for for Americans that want to achieve their um, their net worth goals and their their income goals and their their financial freedom goals. Yeah. Uh, there needs to be another vehicle, and yep. real estate real estate can be one of them. Uh-huh. Uh, in addition, we believe in providing great housing for people. Um, and, and, you know, playgrounds and parks and uh, units with nice amenities and Mm. that are, that are amenities that are a a lifestyle that's delivered above the market for the same price. Um, Mm. we believe in that. We also believe that if I provide these kinds of things that people would want to work for companies that are doing all the great stuff that I just said. So I think that real estate can provide people a great place to work, live, invest, and run a business. So, and, and learn too. So that's why I believe that's what we're all about as a company. That's a long answer, but you pulled my cord about what our, we're founded on. No, you know? I love it. I love, yeah. I love hearing passion. I love, I, yeah, I say this a lot when, when it's appropriate, but I love talking to people who care about people, right? I mean, we're all trying mm-hmm. to make money, real estate, you know, we, you can make a good living. Like you said, it can offer you a lot of freedoms, financial and, and, and time freedom, but people who also realize that it, there's a, a, a whole other arm of this, that you can actually improve other people's lives in the process mm-hmm. through housing, through employment, right? Through all these things that we do, that, that can be a, a on purpose mission as well, not just making the money, but let's figure out a way to make the money, but also do good and, and do as much good as we possibly can along the way. We forget the people live in these properties, Mike, and then mm-hmm. that we forget that there are people on the other end of almost every real estate adventure as a user, whether that's through self-storage, industrial, residential, whatever it is. So it's not just about going in and bumping rents and making NOI and making targets and achieving IRR and then selling the property or whatever it is. It's about like providing good quality housing for the people that live there and, and, and treating them as respectable humans, as, as the humans that they are. Yeah. So totally. Agree, um, Anyway, totally. Agree. Um, the future of our company is interesting, Mike. We're 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 getting into some cool stuff. 
we're thinking about uh, for our apartment complexes, we're thinking about like a never a never sell model. Uh, even though we have investors in those deals, what how great would it be if investors that invest in our deals were given multiple exits along the highway of ownership? Um, and those are they're all profitable exits, and they can either stay on the road with us, yeah. and keep owning and keep achieving greater and greater cash flows and greater and greater ownership. Or they can get off the road and achieve a shot in the arm, double-digit IRR, profitable, profitable exit. But we didn't have to exit from truly exit or sell the, from the property at any time. That is a model we're working on, and it's not just because I, I see the future here. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to become a transactional real estate owner where we buy, own it, sell, buy, own it, right, sell. We're, right. we're a trader. Yep. And there's a lot of a lot of syndicators out there that are selling these properties after one, two, three years. And yeah, they're making a great profit, but it's going to be hard to get an entry point to another deal. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'd rather just hold what I got and ride the wave up, ride appreciation, ride cash right. flow, ride those things. So we, as an investment company, are developing some really interesting concepts around never having to sell an asset ever again, but nice. providing formidable rates of return with a forever hold. Gotcha. Um, Hmm. With people able to get out if they want, that's one thing on the whole on the um, on the investment side. Yeah, that's interesting. You say that uh, because the f- holding it is one thing, but people being able to get out if they want and still hold it is a whole other thing, right? So it's really really interesting. Yeah. And I think there are people out there who would want to invest and they're getting good returns and just leave it and not have to get it back and find something else to do with it. If you can find a way for them to keep that in there long term, that could be very attractive for investors. Not every investor has the same life goals, right? Has yeah. the same investment goals as well. The 58-year-old that's going to be retiring in a couple of years and the 28-year-old may have different um, different uh, debt uh, sensitivities totally. or, or uh, risk tolerances. Yep. Uh, they may have different hold cycle desires and stuff like that. So why would you develop a model that has only one exit right. um, uh, for investors? So we're really thinking long and hard about that. Yeah. Um, and we've got a model um, in that, which I'm really excited to uh, to take to the next level and to to uh, you know maybe change the industry a little bit with it. Nice. Well, guys, if you want to follow along and, and see uh, how that develops, by by all means, uh, go and visit the DeRosaGroup.com. DeRosaGroup.com. Is there another website where they would be able to connect with you, or is that just the best place to be? They can do everything there, Mike. They can buy my book. They can invest with us. We do have some educational outlets. If you guys want to learn how to do what we do, and if you like our mindset of transforming lives through real estate, um, and you're open to uh, an educational model that'll teach you how to do what we do, we'd love to have you on board. Love to teach you. Uh, love to show you the ropes. We're a very transparent organization, as you'll see through uh, through YouTube. We put a lot of our stuff out there. Yeah. And um, that you can learn about. Um, you can learn what what options we have for learning from us as well at DeRosaGroup.com. That's awesome. And guys, I, I've talked about it. I mentioned it at the top of the show uh, when I was talking about his his background. But raising private his book, raising private capital: How to Build Your Real Estate Empire with Other People's Money. Go and grab that. Like you said, you can go right to his website, thedeRosaGroup.com, where you can buy the book. You can follow along. You can take advantage of all the stuff that he's putting out there to teach you everything that he knows and just giving it away. Uh, like crazy on the on the YouTube channel and every every place else. So, listen, Matt, uh, it's been awesome getting to know you. I appreciate your transparency. Uh, you're obviously a, a very smart guy and a very good person, right? I mean, you you, you took Thank this you. time that we had this is relatively 
short amount of time and you you emphasize the need and the desire to get back. And I think if if more real estate investors thought that way, not, by the way, I think that abundance uh, approach to life is also sort of uh, the most successful people I know have that abundance attitude and and they don't they're not trying to screw people over they're trying to actually do some good uh good things come back to good people i believe that so uh, all the luck to you I, I wish you nothing but health and happiness and uh we talked about this before you got on but you're you're suffering a little bit from covid right now and you still did this so uh yeah. many thanks to you thanks. a lot of people would have canceled and I'm, i appreciate that you didn't but uh take care of yourself get over it and have a great rest of your year brother Thanks, Mike. Great, having, great, uh, great to be here. Appreciate you having me on the show. All right. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. I had a lot of fun doing that interview. Matt's a good guy. I love talking about raising money. And, uh, you know, it's always a great bonus when you get that out of a person. What a Just what a good person they are, right? They want to help. They want to make the world a little bit better. They want to do good for people. They want to hire great people and, and make it a fun environment for them. And then, you know, they're just great at building their empire, too. So they have a lot to offer people. Uh, and Matt is no exception. He was uh, uh, a guy that uh, I knew was going to be fun to interview. He's been on some great shows of people... Uh, hosts, podcast hosts that I really respect. And so I knew he would be a really, really great person to talk to. And he did not disappoint. So I hope you guys enjoyed that and got a lot out of it like I did. Uh, but again, it all boils down to you, right? What are you going to do? What are, what are you going to do today to make tomorrow different than yesterday? And it all starts with getting out there and taking action. So go take action. Make today the first day that you change your life for the good and forever. All right, we'll talk to you next time.